And the cardiologist looked at me and said, you, you like a drink, don't you? And he said, this isn't a panic, this isn't a disaster, but you are the stereotypical 48-year-old boozer. You know, see it all the time. It's entirely reversible. You, you have a fatty liver, your heart's working too hard, you, you're overweight, and your cholesterol's high. Your choice. Welcome to Series 2 of the One Year No Beer Podcast. If you haven't hit subscribe yet, then hit that button so you don't miss another episode. Just before we get started with today's interview, I just want to quickly mention one thing that Jen and I do every day. We were so lucky to come across this brand listening to podcasts just like this. And we are so proud to be sponsored by Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is literally one scoop of this all-round nutritional insurance, which is made up of no less than 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfoods, scientifically researched and blended together to support and improve energy recovery, immunity, and digestion. It's so easy. You just get down in the morning, plop open that glass, pour in your athletic greens and pow, you are doing what you need in one scoop. If you want to join us, simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash O-Y-N-B and join the health experts, athletes and health conscious go-getters around the world who are making a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash O-Y-N-B. Now don't forget the forward slash O-Y-N-B because this will entitle you to the special deal Athletic Greens have given out to our listeners. A year's supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs will take with you on the go. Once again, athleticgreens.com. Don't forget, O-Y-N-B. Now let's get started with the podcast. Welcome to another fantastical, stupendous, amazing, awesome podcast by One Year No Beer. My name is Ruri Fairbairns. I am co-host of this series, series which we have called Stories of Transformation. We are delving deep into the incredible stories of our members, the journey that they embark on, the changes that they have in their life, and ultimately the outcomes and the impact that they've had in all areas of your life by changing their relationship with alcohol. Today, I am joined by none other than quite a character. If anyone has been in the community at all, you'll know this gentleman, Julian. Julian Tittersall. Did I say your surname right? Uh, I honestly wouldn't know how to pronounce it myself. Tittershill, Tittershill. Tittershill. Apparently, it's got Scottish roots, but who knows? It's it, it could be used as a my gran used to say to me, you know when you're drunk when you can't say digital. Oh, Julian. <laughs> or, digi- or digital. Oh, oh, oh Ruri. <laughs> oh, well, nobody can say, I mean, you can't be sober and say my name. It is, uh, it's a ridiculous name. Welcome to the show, Julian. Good morning. Thank you. 
Good to good to have you on. We've chatted a little bit now and again, haven't we? We've had a few conversations over the days as far as members yeah. goes. Um, yeah. It's been really incredible to watch your journey unfold um, from, well, the man, just visually, the man who sat in front of us. I think the first ever picture you put up was you in a gym, fully bearded, you know, f- absolutely red faced. And it was like, oh, well, <laughs> who's this chat? What's going on here? And look at you today. What a transformation. Yeah, that, that was a lockdown beard. I had that for six months prior to one year, no beer, and six months after. And it was, uh, whether it was Juice, Grizzly Adams or Trump, it was a hell of a beard, but uh, in the past now. <laughs> Excellent. Julian, why don't you um, tell our wonderful listeners and your fellow members a little bit more about you, a bit of background? Uh, so I'll I'll take you back to probably, I'm 49, so I was learning my drinking in the mid 80s i come from a, a family of a head teacher and a, my mum was a teacher and i grew up in the summer it was the cricket club and in the winter it was the rugby club and from my front garden the, the what separated me from the lancashire market town cricket club was was just a road it was literally a stone's throw so happy memories of spending most of my weekends at the cricket club around drinking in the summer and the rugby club in the winter and it it, it just normalized it it was absolutely what everybody did and and that's how it's continued for the next 40 years my dad's best mate was the brewery rep for gamers old english cider so there was a consistent flow of nice sweet fizzy cider um Easy which for a was, young gentleman to, to drink yeah it was actually in a keg down the side of the fridge and you can't monitor the level of the keg. And I, I started tapping into the old English cider at about 14 and then mm. started going to the pub at about 16. Um, and i never forget, I was sat in the pub on my 18th birthday surrounded by birthday cards with the landlord raising an eyebrow saying, but you've been drinking here two years. <laughs> I know that well. I know that very yeah. well. Um, no, no, it's uh, not my 18th, it's my 20th. <laughs> yeah, yeah, despite what it says on the cards. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, cider in the park, um, everything was, was what's my next opportunity to, to go and have a drink um, because it's, it's, it's what we did in, in, a, in a Lancashire market town in the, in, in the late 80s mm. um, and then followed uni, which was really, you know, the brakes are off. I'm now in this wonderful environment where I quickly, you know, started playing rugby myself Self, rugby club captain and uni was was three years of boozing and rugby and a little bit of academia and then ever since then um graduated 97 so 20 odd years of the same friends i made at uni because i moved to uni and never left and and it, it continues you know it's what you do it's the, the norm it's it's yeah. everybody boozes you wait for the weekend and you slip into couple of pints tea time on a weekday bottle of wine with tea and and it you know i i remember when i was about 2000 2001 uh, about when i was around 30 i thought i'm 16 stone i'm 30 years old it goes no further and then woke mm. up one day in 2021 at 20 stone um, wow uh, and thought it's it's gone too far but i'll you know i'll i'll, I'll stop there because i I'll take up that whole thing talking <laughs> if, 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 if I carry on, because it's quite a story with a few little bits in between. But anyway, yeah, it is. It is quite a story. And so, um, you know, because I do you think it was because it was cider that um, you it was love at first sight. Uh, you 
didn't have a bad taste reaction that first time or um i mean i remember the first time i had booze um and i drank specifically to get drunk um so i was like you know being made fun of at school i was still young but i was being made fun of at school that i hadn't yet started drinking and so i was like right i've got to sort this out um went and delved into my mum and dad's um drinking cabinet mixed whiskey with a thought oh whiskey i've seen that being mixed with a dark colored liquid oh yeah uh port that'll do so i put uh. those two into a bottle together and drank and i mean redecorating the house doesn't come close to it it was it was all ends and bo- it was just horrific but um yeah so now i've shamed myself you know your first experience was pleasurable and you carried on from there so you've provoked a couple of really cheerful anecdotes. And I, I remember my first, I'll give you my first and my second. So no, it wasn't all plain sailing with nice sweet cider. My first experience was New Year's Eve. I'm going to guess I was 12. So that would be 1984. Um, my parents and friends had gone out and left three boys home alone. So that was me and the two sons. Brave. Of, 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 yeah. <laughs> they didn't know you very well then. No, well, they they did because I was um, I was about to change, um, <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I know it was my idea. Memories are pretty vague, but I'll never forget. We we were in their house, and I said, "Well, hang on a minute. There's there's a, a load of little glass bottles over there. You know, my dad drinks, your dad drinks. It's clearly the thing that that men do. Let's yeah. let's all have a drink." And and our parents were obviously out till after midnight because it was New Year's Eve. And we we experimented with whatever was in those bottles. I couldn't tell you what it was. And similar to your let's mix mix whiskey with port, there was was no mixers involved. And the the overwhelming memory is being sick into a huge plastic yellow bowl. Um, After I was the only one of the three that was sick, which tells a story I maintained throughout my career. (laughs) Um, Sick into this huge yellow bowl. And when I staggered down the stairs the next day, my first sight was my mate's dad mixing scrambled eggs in the same bowl that I'd been vomiting into eight hours previously. So that that was my first. And there was probably a huge gap then. Did you run back upstairs to throw up down the toilet again? (laughs) That's right. It was... Just to, to to have that that stark memory, you know, you, you think it would put you off for life. So so no, that was my first experience. My second was when I was proudly given a pint of Thwaites bitter by my dad at the cricket club. Uh, maybe there was a bit of lemonade in it, and you know there was a big. Here's your first pint, son. You know, well done, um, well done for being given your first pint. Now bugger off out the clubhouse and walk around the field so no one sees you drinking although you know 1980s Lancashire sports clubs nobody really bothered um, he still didn't want his his son sat at the bar drinking a pint so off I went with this pint of bitter really proud of myself by the time I'd got halfway round the ground I'd poured it away because it just simply didn't taste nice yes, yeah, you know yeah. um, there was no vomiting into big yellow plastic bowls but clearly I didn't like the taste of bitter Yeah. so I do remember I, I've specifically remember that and then obviously i had several years of learning to drink um which was aided by gamers old english nice nice cider yeah yeah exactly and um you know do you think that things like i mean obviously cricket is a massive boozing boozing um sport um you know i mean what else do you do while you're sitting people for five days for 10 hours and even then they come up with a draw but i'm not a cricket fan so um but um uh, and, and then but rugby is another kettle of fish yeah. as well right so um you know you you sort of in cricket you look sort of like stew yourself over a long period of time but in rugby it's more like 
hammering booze right and the faster you can drink and chugging and and a lot of real binge culture into into rugby did you see is that where you oh, think well, you start to form your relationship with alcohol so i think with cricket it takes a long time and you can only start boozing once you finish playing so you've kind of got that window of half past seven in the evening onwards rugby takes an hour and a half and as soon as you're off the pitch you're boozing but actually to, to my relationship with alcohol, I, I, I started drinking 14, 15, was regularly going to pub 16, 17. I passed my GCSEs with, with zero effort, didn't revise, you know, and, and just got through them. I went on to do my A-levels and it was as I started doing my A-levels that my parents divorced. Um, home became a little, I'm only child, home became a little bit tougher. And mm. I started spending as much time as I could in the pub on a weeknight at the age of 16, 17, which meant I stopped going to sixth form. Um, because I quite simply couldn't be bothered, um, and then spectacularly failed my A-levels. Um, I, I absolutely failed all of my A-levels. So I was there at 18, all my mates were off to uni, and I I wasn't. And I remember repeating the mantra, oh, there's loads of people with degrees walking around without jobs, uni's not for me. So long story short, I ended up getting a job in a crisp factory, um, for lack of anything else to do, which was managed by my godfather at the time. So I had an easy entry into this this crisp factory. And for two or three years, I lived the dream of earning 184 quid a week, driving a Ford Capri. I wish I could drive a Ford Capri today. I really do. Um, Wonderful and, cars. My brother oh, had one and just, he called it the Grim Reaper. Yeah, I, I just, what a car. I love it. I really do. Um, and I, before I went to uni, um, I had three years working in a crisp factory, and, and what is really pertinent is I worked nights. So I started work at 10 o'clock on a Sunday night and finished at 6 on a Monday morning and did f five shifts per week. So I couldn't really drink on a weekday evening mm, okay. because I had to drive. I could have maybe one with my tea, and I'd come home at half six in the morning and have a couple of beers with breakfast and then go to bed. But what really sticks out, and this is where I was more off the rails in lots of respects, was I'd finish work at six o'clock on a Friday morning, and I would know that I was then free to spend my £184 a week between 6am Friday morning and Sunday. So I would desperately try to get to sleep, give up at one o'clock on a Friday and go straight to the pub at one o'clock on a Friday afternoon. Mm. And I would effectively stay there one way or another, be it at a mate's party, at a nightclub. I was very much into my rock music. Um, and my entire weekend would be how messed up can I get myself with that £184 from the time I crawl out of bed on a Friday lunchtime, I'd be in the pub for one o'clock, stay there till forever, go into Southport or Liverpool, and then co come home at two in the morning on a Saturday, collapse, wake up at 11am, straight out again, straight to the pub. And that repeated that cycle for three years. So that was where every spare social minute I had, I'd be to the pub, I would put as much in me, as I possibly could. And then the horror of waking up at midday on a Sunday with a two day hangover and then waiting till nine o'clock in the evening to be able to go to work and stay up all night till six o'clock in the morning to do a shift in a crisp factory. And that repeated yeah. for three years. And that's where I really started to smash it. But somehow, for the second and third years, managed to get myself to night school on weekday evenings, reset my A-levels and, and get myself off to uni. Um, and then uni just cemented. Before you, go to, before you go to uni, because I think what you've described there, I mean, 
that's exactly the same as me. Okay. Some circumstances, I'm in a different place. I'm in Scotland, you know, and, and the circumstances are different, but that is the binge culture. That is, you know, the UK and certainly back then, eighties, nineties, arguably early thousands. And for, I still think for many, many, many people, that is the reality. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, millennial, uh, relationship with alcohol is changing millennials and, and younger generations coming through. Um, their relationship is changing, but still by and large, lots and lots of people, that is what they do. They go and they get absolutely smashed at the weekend. Um, and, um, you know, it's just that constant rotation, that absolute hamster wheel. And yeah. So as you were saying, I think, I think a lot of people will resonate with that, Julian, because it's like, yeah, that's, that's, that's what we did. So then you, you went to university and what things stepped up a notch or how did it change? Well, You've nailed it because while I was working for that three years in that factory, there was not a waking moment at the weekend when I wasn't drinking, you know, and wasn't, you know, getting as smashed as I could. Um, went to uni um, an hour away from home, far enough not to have to live at home, but close enough to send my washing home. Um, and um, it was the, the breaks were then off because I didn't have to wait till Friday, Saturday. Mm. I remember it was a different club every night, had student night on. I think Monday was the only day when there wasn't something on. It was back in the day, would you believe, where, well, you may remember, I don't know if it was different in Scotland, but we were, there were no tuition fees. We were given money to be students. We were given a student grant. We were given a student loan, which we didn't have to repay for three or four years. And, and we were, in student terms, rich. My rent was 20 quid a week. And I very quickly embroiled myself in rugby culture. And it, it was like, I can go and do this to myself every night of the week. Mm. But there is no reason not to. And I think from the that gloves are day on. Yeah, from that day on, I probably, probably drank every day since, and it was all, and it, yeah, wow. it was, the hangovers weren't really that bad at the tender age of 21, 22. I was very quickly fixture secretary for the rugby team in the first year, then club captain in the second, third year. Yes, yeah, so it was club easy. In, Sorry, keep going. Sorry. Yeah, club captain just quickly is not on the field captain. It's not super rugby prowess. It's captain of the club, which mm. basically means captain of the social. Yeah, exactly. So when it comes to those initiation ceremonies and all the awful You're things the you read about in the paper, I'm in the thick of it and I'm <laughs> leading the way and showing how, how much we can drink. Cause it's not about what we do on the pitch. It's about whether we can outdrink the opposition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, you, um, Sorry, I rudely interrupted you there and, and, and now, of course, lost my train of thought. But, um, you know, this, this, uh, going through this, um, this time in your life, was there the thought, Oh, I have a problem? Or did anyone say to you, uh, you have a problem? Or was anyone like, Oh, you're, you're risky drinking? Or was it like, Oh, this is totally normal. And, um, you know, actually I'm being rewarded for this because the more I take people out, the more I'm liked and the more I'm elevated to captain, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So everybody around me was doing the same. Yep. I was encouraging them. They were encouraging me, be it the rugby team, be it the girls, um, you know, be it anybody we spoke to. We all lived and dreamed the same culture. Um, I lived on a short slope street at the bottom of that street was the pub. Um, my mate and I were, were over the moon when we realized we could step out of the front door, get on a bike and not even pedal and freewheel down the road straight through the door of the pub. Um, there was one person in my life that said, hang on a minute. And that was my mum. 
um, who is the only person on this planet I know who can moderate. She has two gin and tonics a week and has done for the last 60 years. And she there'd be a little tap on the shoulder and say, are you just drinking a bit too much? Totally ignored, obviously. Yeah. But, you know, it's it was the uni culture of, of the 90s and everybody did it and that made it all right. And I didn't stop and think once at uni that I was doing too much because it's what we all did. Yeah. And you were performing, right? You were you were you were still achieving in life. You were getting stuff done. But yet um, all of the craziness. And I'm sure there's lots of you had lots of fun and experiences. And, you know, you could say you'd have lots of happy times and good times and all sorts of things like that. So, um yeah, when did this start to materialize into your brain into something that you 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 wanted to change? You know, you you come out of um, rugby and things like that, and you start working. Tell us more. Uh, so, graduated in '97, worked for a building society for three years, and then entered the the pharmaceutical world in in 2000. And we we as a group of about 20 ex uni friends tried to keep doing the same thing. You know, we, we carried on trying to live that social life. Um, and, and you know, we didn't want to let go of what had been the, the best three years of our life, you know, from a uni perspective. And as I had that moment in about 2001, 2002, where I realized that age was kind of catching up from a weight perspective. I've never been slim. You know, I've, I've ne- I'd never been fat, but I had thought 16 stone. I'm six foot. 16 stone was probably the limit for my height um and it just started to to make me think and we're still 20 years ago now that actually maybe i've done my my, my young days I've, I've hit my 30s and and maybe we should start to i got you know I was, I was met my wife at university we were together she's never been a heavy drinker she drinks a bit but not like i was doing so there's just a tiny little creeping thread 20 years ago that i couldn't sustain this forever which didn't necessarily stop me for the next 20 years totally and um and that little gnawing in the head so you met your wife um and you're now operating in the in the pharmaceutical industry um the thing is if if you're anything like me i was doing all that partying in a younger younger age and then once i met broking that that enabled enabled me again because certainly in London there was this big booze culture um, that that could continue to facilitate a lot of my partying and and ultimately destructive behaviour, um, which I guess again was all totally normalised and it wasn't till you know afterwards the other side which is why we're sitting here having this podcast now is because when you were in it you didn't really realise and then when you're out of it you're like oh my god. I can't believe and, you know, I wish I'd done this sooner and all sort of things like that. So warm me up to the point where you're starting, because I know you tried to moderate for a bit and you tried to cut down, you know, why were you trying to do that? What what was going on in your life? What were some of the symptoms that were making you think, you know what, I need to get a handle on this? Yeah, so so 15 years whiz by, you know, we're now in 2015. I've probably crept up to 18 stone. Absolutely nothing has changed. Um, I've got married um massive we had a medieval costume wedding in a castle in wales and do you know what i'd like to remember more of it you know Mm. i I remember the start of a medieval banquet then it goes a little bit hazy so continued the kind of working life uh invested in a successful career and then in 2015 um we we adopted our children 
um, after two years of, of trying and quite a stressful time, mm. IVF, all of egg donation, all of those things. Oh, 2015, no, it was tough. And I have to say it was a lot tougher on my wife than it was me totally. because all the interferences with her. Um, adopted our two girls. Um, and then, yeah, it, it, it was incredible. And what ages were later, they when they when you adopted them? Um, six and eight. Wonderful. So uh, they're now um, about to become 15 and 12. Were they sisters? Uh, they're half-sisters. Oh, wow. Yeah. Great. Half-sisters, and, and, you know, that that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what a great thing um, to do, so well done. Yes, yeah, and uh, the fact they haven't knocked on the door yet is a miracle. So <laughs> let's just keep going, let's keep going. Well, it's quiet. Um, adopted the kids, and that's when, around the time that the hangover started to become you know, really untenable mm-hmm. because having a hangover with no kids and the only responsibility is the dog. Yeah. You know, it's fine. you can Netflix. Just, just stumble downstairs, let the dog out and go back to bed. Yeah. But having two young kids with a hangover really begins to dig in and things had to start to change every house we've lived in we've immediately converted to put a bar in you know we had a three-bedroom semi with a with a staircase where we put a bar under the staircase in the first house second house had an old garage on the back which we converted into a bar the house you really are party central oh it was always after the pub it was always back to our house Mm -hmm. you know the room i'm sat in now used to be the bar which is now an office um so i'm sat in the, the what used to be the social hub of this house and you know we were massive social people and then it just the the creeping thoughts of hangovers it became tough but nothing changed nothing changed nothing changed and fast forward to two years ago nearly two years ago um may 2020 I went to bed one night with what I could feel was an irregular heart rate. Mm. Um, no pain, no discomfort, but you know when you can feel your, your pulse in your ears? Yeah, or, yeah. or I, It was skipping, and I mm. just thought, well, that's, that's, that's a bit abnormal, but I'm not in any pain, not in any discomfort. And then the next morning, there it was, still at it. So I thought, well, you know, common sense, let's go down to A&E and, and let's find out what's going on. And again, uh, long story short, on, on that day, I was diagnosed as being in atrial fibrillation, which is not necessarily the best thing you want to hear. Okay. I, I spent the day in A&E, still no symptoms, still no pain, still no discomfort, just just this doctor you know furrowing his brow loads of blood tests etc etc and by tea time on the sunday the the atrial fibrillation had settled down my pulse was normal and off i went i was discharged Mm -hmm. this led to um cardiology consultations and what also came out because of all the blood tests they did they discovered that my hematocrit which is the percentage of red blood cells in your blood was very very high and I was diagnosed with a, a type of blood cancer where the bone marrow overproduces red blood cells called polycythemia rubrovira. Right. So I'd gone from I'd gone from happy happy drunk with miserable hangovers to suddenly um, August two thousand and twenty. I have a diagnosis of atrial fibrillation, and I have a diagnosis of polycythemia rubrovira. So wow. very quickly had yeah it was and yes it was a shock but. Very quickly had cardiologist consultations, had a liver scan. I had a fatty liver, um, no yeah. two ways about it. I had high cholesterol, mm-hmm. blood pressure was okay. And he said, there's no real cause for you. Oh, and I had uh, left, don't quote me on this, Dr. Fairburns, left ventricular hyper 
hypertrophy, which meant one of the chambers of my heart was slightly enlarged because it was working too hard. Right. And the cardiologist looked at me and said, you, you like a drink, don't you? And he said, this isn't a panic, this isn't a disaster, but you are the stereotypical 48-year-old boozer yeah you know see it all the time it's entirely reversible you you have a fatty liver your heart's working too hard you you're overweight and your cholesterol's high your choice you know he totally. said i have this conversations 10 times a month your choice that's a long story short the cardiologist the hematologist um said you have polycythemia rubrivera he looked at me and he said you you have blood cancer and i'm you know it's not terminal it's not some horrific cancer way way you know but because it is the bone marrow doing something it shouldn't, this is classed as, 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 as a blood cancer. And he said, this isn't caused by alcohol, but alcohol makes it worse. Um, you know, it's, it's not to say stopping drinking would ever cure this, but the ethanol in alcohol exacerbates your problem. Okay. And as a result, the only way we lower the Overproliferation of red blood cells is every three months we bring you in and we give you a venesection and a venesection is quite simply taking a load of blood out wow and yeah with, with a bloody enormous needle that looks like a biro you sit in a chair they take a load of blood out and you flake out for an hour and then you go home and you're fine and it reduces wow. your hematocrit <clears throat> that was that and i thought okay time to change and that was in the august when i got all these results and i i stopped drinking uh, very bravely on my own um i stopped drinking and i stayed off the booze for exactly two months i didn't drink through september and october 2020 and i thought congratulating myself it was all willpower um it was all I, i'm doing something for me it's really tough i'm missing out and mm, i'm totally. suffering because i can't enjoy myself and then got to the end of october and thought right i've done two months i can now moderate and even though this was at the point where for the first time my cardiovascular health and my circulatory health was being affected by drinking, I failed utterly to moderate. And it was uh, April the following year, so six months later, when I kind of woke up again and thought, I'm right back to where I was. Mm. I'm boozing just as much as I was prior to that two-month break. And, oh, my God, what am I going to do? I can't moderate. Um, I'm still having my venesections. My hematocrit's no better. I haven't had any more AF, but I'm sure it's coming down the line. Wow. That is absolutely amazing. So um, we, we need to dive more into that for, sh for, for certain because, you know, this is something we really need to get out to people. I mean, the, the, the doctors and, 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 and people who, you're, who you've been working with must be incredibly surprised by your results having now um, changed your relationship with alcohol. Did you know that we offer loads more support? Yes, I'm talking about time with coaches, Zooms, meeting other people, locking eye to eye, meeting awesome OIMBers who are on the same inspiring journey as you. All of those things are available in AFM. We created AFM as a close, small community that is really there to help people master changing the relationship with alcohol. So if you're looking for a little bit more support, you want to meet more OYMBers, or you just want to take your alcohol-free journey to the next level, then check out oneyearnobeer.com forward slash AFM. And if you put in the discount code PODCAST10, capital letters, 
podcast 10 will get you 10% discount off joining AFM. So, you know, inevitably a slippery slope, you've gone back into drinking and everything. And what did you decide to do next? So, yeah, despite having this, this, this cancer, blood cancer diagnosis and cardiovascular diagnosis and having had two months off, I was right back to where I started and, and really, you know, wits end, the anxiety was off the scale, the, the sleep was, you know, I was waking up at three every morning and lucky to get back off to sleep again. And, and you know, it was like some somebody helped me. And that was April, May. I again, I started trying AF intermittently. You know, I was miserable. Um, I, I couldn't quite get to the decision that, that was the possibility I was never going to drink again. April and May, I was just trying different things. We've all tried, okay, I won't drink on, in the week. I won't drink in the house. You know, I'll only have two. I'll always drive to the pub, so I only have one. And tried everything. You know, nothing worked whatsoever. And and it was almost like, uh, uh, and we're all at, you know, 10 o'clock at night, mindlessly scrolling through Facebook. Yep. And I kind of seen that the yellow of one year no beer without really seeing it, it had kind of crept into my Feed. psyche. Yeah. And, and every morning I was waking up, oh, God, I've done it again. I feel like shit. And I just, why do I wake up every morning thinking I'm not going to do it today? And then every tea time there's a glass of wine and, and it's not getting really drunk it's just drinking every day when you don't need to so one one night i finally actually clicked on on one you know beer and and i absolutely and utterly saw it as a as a lifeline as 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 a, a chance of something different and dived in beyond belief because i'm quite if i do something i don't all in <laughs> same as, whatever you do same, you're all yeah. in same as drinking, drinking, same as anything. I'm not going to do anything half-heartedly. And Amazing. I utterly and completely dived in. I think day one for me was the 4th of June, uh, 2021. Um, it was. A, I remember my last drink. It was a San Miguel top in a pub on a Sunday afternoon. And I thought, that's my last one. And I dived into all the daily videos. Um, I started my day with you for 90 days. Um, two minutes of brewery every bloody morning. What Happy more day. could you possibly ask for than have me for two minutes every day? Well, sometimes five yeah. minutes. Happy bloody Ruri. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and I, I, I stopped absolutely dead because it is it is all or nothing. And I signed up for 90 days originally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went through, uh, I, and the two things I dived into were the daily videos without fail and the journaling and my reasons why. Great, um, great. And the Facebook group. Yeah. And I think we all know now that the Facebook group is something extremely special, or the Slack group, or, yeah, or yeah. The, the, the community. The community, is exactly. something exactly. extremely extremely special um i've made friends you know on the community there there are seven people i talk to now regularly on on messenger they are my call them girlfriends call them life friends there's there's amazing two in australia there's one in south africa there's two in scotland um one in northern ireland and and one in gateshead so you know (laughs) it's we're we're a group who support constantly the facebook group's amazing so totally dived into that didn't bother with the podcast i was never a podcast person until i tried it yesterday and absolutely embrace one year no beer i was forever on the facebook group and that was my kind of crutch um and also invested heavily in, in, in alcohol-free uh, beer and uh, G- G&T, which, which kept me going. And I'd, I'd advocate that, not, maybe not the wine, which is bloody awful. Bloody awful. Um, <laughs> and then I, I hit the sugar massively hard. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I, I never had a massive epiphany. I had lots of little epiphanies. Day 45 was the day I, I cut back on the sugar. Um, it felt ready for the next step and my diet changed for the better. Day 80 something was a, a kind of mental, this is really working. Mm. Um, and I'm here now at day 265 uh, with 100 to go to the 365. And it, it I, <laughs> changed my life absolutely the first thing in in 22 years of actually thinking maybe i need to do something about this and trying so many things this is the first thing that has really really changed um and it's 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 not changed my life it's also a change for life mm. because i i i so, you know I, I can talk about what the, what the, the results are or what the future holds but i could list 10 profound measurable defined benefits with just one little niggle about FOMO so it's it's kind of 10 to 1 about totally. you know the benefits versus the the, the 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 downside if there is a downside I think I think that's probably what keeps people stuck is the the one uh, the one you talk about there you know if I look at your life um you were you were very sociable you were the center of the party it was incredibly ingrained in your identity about who you are is this um party starter very similar party to myself. Party finisher as well. Party finisher, last, first in, last out, you know, very similar to myself. And, um, so, you know, the, 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 the shift and the change of that is gargantuan. How can I possibly, you know, how am I, am I going to bring people back to my house, which is what I love doing? And how am I going to have that, you know, all of those things? It's, it's what keeps so many people stuck. And yet the truth is, is that once you come and try this thing out if this is the first time you're listening um to this idea about uh taking a break from booze or changing a relationship with alcohol is that actually that one thing becomes the only thing on a list of 10 things that are incredibly positive so hit me with some of those or all if you can if you can do them those 10 um things which are just tell us what what improved for you what changed what's what's gone on so let's start with sleep um yep. First week, first fortnight sleep, not much change. Uh, I, I I can't hold, I, I can't, I'm being recorded on my iPhone, so I can't check, but I could show you how I now average eight and a half hours sleep a night, you know, which which was at five or six hours a night. Sleep has ceased to be a massive source of anxiety, which it has been for 20 years. Um, my wife's sick to death of moaning about how I didn't sleep. Um, I go to sleep at 11 o'clock. I wake up at seven, half seven every night. Not a problem. Ceased to be a concern in my life. Biggest one for me, without a doubt, is I have spent my entire life trying to lose weight one way or another um i've had personal trainers i've been to the gym but for every day i carried on drinking i never lost a pound on day one i was 19 stone or 120 kilos on day 265 i am just shy of 14 stone Amazing. or 88 kilos so that's five stone i won't say without minimal effort because i've become that gym obsessed you yeah, know, person yeah of course but lifestyle changes I, and and priority changes and and everything else but you know that, that that that's a two two part thing right you know exercise for the outside and but exercise 
coming from the inside. And it's like, uh, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think people realize, you know, the power of this program is that this is not just about not drinking, right? We're not teaching you how tactics to have willpower, right? We're not teaching you tactics how to grin and bear it through. We're showing you that there are reasons why alcohol is so prevalent in your life. And that when you take the journey of, of saying, you know what, I want to discover those reasons and make changes in my life, then it's not just changing a relationship with alcohol. It's changing your relationship with everything, right? You're suddenly you want to exercise and you want to meditate or you want to eat right or you want to improve your relationships, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I'm never going to sit here and be that person that says, I love exercise. I really enjoy it, <laughs> but I'm, I'm doing it every day and I'm motivated to do it and it makes me feel good. And I yeah. have a lifetime 5k PB. I have a lifetime 10k PB. Next up is a lifetime half marathon PB. If I don't exercise, I get grumpy. It's, it's replaced a lot of it. Totally. And I now know that when I exercise those calories I'm burning, I'm getting rather than just mitigating the empty calories of alcohol. Yeah. Um, so and, and weight loss, the just you know, the the comments I get from people, people who haven't seen me since before lockdown is oh my god, people don't recognise me, it's ridiculous. I can see my feet. Um <laughs> so so sleep, weight loss, anxiety, which which you, you can't really put a number on, but every day would start with creeping anxiety every morning, three AM. Um anxiety's gone from an eight out of ten to a one or two oh, out of ten. Wow, you know? amazing. Uh, what and, what impact does that have on everything? You know, how you operate how you work, how you how you handle your relationships, everything. It's how your day starts, and it doesn't start with 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 this horrible creeping anxiety of oh oh I've done it again, mm. you know. Um, uh, fading effect bias, you know. I, I forget how how tough it was, um, and and what what else? I suppose that the huge one I have to say is I I have had my consultations with with both. <laughs> hematology and cardiology i'm completely diagnosed sorry i'm completely discharged now from cardiology wow so i've not had a single other incidence of af the fatty liver has reduced amazing um and i am totally clean bill of health from cardiology my cholesterol is flew the, through the floor i i my blood pressure my pulse is 48 i'm nearly you know that's amazing nearly dead pulse um but, you know, <laughs> so chilled I, I'm, out I'm not I'm not an athlete, but to be 49 years old with a foot, pulse of 48, Amazing. which was up in the 70s, is is crackers. And this blood cancer, so that, this blood cancer, so that, that's the biggie. That that has gone. So that's my unbelievable. My hematocrit is normal. I'm, I'm still having quarterly um, blood tests to check my hematocrit, but I have not had to have. This is the biggie. I've not had to have a venesection since March of last year. So I've missed my last four venesections because there is now nothing wrong with my blood that's not to say that not drinking cures polycythemia rubrovira because i still have a propensity for it propensity for it but it is to say that i'm no longer suffering from the exacerbating effects that alcohol has had and it's the only change it's the only explanation it's amazing you know i i don't have to have that huge needle stuck in my arm every three months and i don't have to worry about later life complications because my blood count is now normal and i am healthier than i've ever been and i don't have to worry about the c word 
um, on my continued. It's amazing how, how how I mean. I just hope everybody shares this podcast. I hope everybody listens to this and think there must be somebody I know or any you know people on my list or followers or social media or anyone they might have a relative who will because I shared this will listen to this story and think you know what maybe if I just drop the booze for a bit it might improve some of these issues some of these health issues I have in my life because I don't think well you clearly were hearing it from the doctor but there's one thing hearing it from the doctor and then there's the other thing of the action of actually taking it and you know like you try before you were like i heard all those diagnoses i heard those things i heard that they were life-threatening i heard i was going down a path i tried to do it on my own and i ended up back where i started again um so i think that's yeah it's it, it's amazing it only stopped me for two months and it was only one year new, no beer that thus far has stopped me for nine months yeah. and I, I i the benefits now because i've stuck at it if I'd done it for 28 days, I wouldn't have... Everyone's done dry January. I was listening to a podcast yesterday and somebody said, you only need to do three weeks and you realise that it's for life. Well, well, not not for me because no. everybody does dry January and everybody or Stoptober and you go back to it. That's right. For me, to, to lose the weight, to get the sleep benefit, to lose the anxiety and get the health benefits, it, I had to do it for longer to utterly convince myself. Two months wasn't enough to do it myself, and it's only one year no beer that has seen me to, to three months, to six months, and now to nine months when it's how can i argue with with that level of weight loss that level of sleep health benefits you just can't and it's it's just it is life-changing now and in the future and the only regret is as i'm sure you've heard i couldn't do it sooner every podcast thinking you know thank god i did it at 49 um i have friends in 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 I've made three one year new beer who are doing it in the mid thirties, and it's like, look at you, you've you've got fifteen years on me. Mm, yeah, totally. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And so, just diving into that briefly, um, you know, we we talked about what the difference was. What what do you think really was the difference with one year new beer and trying to do it on your own? Why why was it so impactful? Something to attached to something that showed me it wasn't just me because i heard myself say so many times over the years all of my friends do it it must be okay and all of my friends pretty much still do it so you know it's okay for them but just because somebody else drinks six pints doesn't mean it's okay for me to drink six pints everybody i knew drank only my mother could moderate (laughs) so it was the norm one year no beer showed me it wasn't the norm your happy face every morning showed me that you'd been where I was um, and it showed me there were several thousand people in a Facebook community who were in exactly the same boat and it gave me something to utterly attach to. It gave me strategies, it sent me all the right messages and it gave me, you know, just little things like keep on keeping on, keep going, you've yeah. got this. Yeah. And and then it opened the doors to all the quit lit. You know, there's there's six or seven books that you hear people talk about. Two of them work for me. Another two will work for other people. I can see them on the shelf over there. Um, And I will will reread Alcohol Explained um, on my one-year anniversary, you know, and then I'm going to go and get Alcohol Explained too. And it's just all the little tips and tricks and the support all comes into this huge um, reason to 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 be with no one year no beer and to keep on keeping on and to why would you ever drink when you see the success 
of, of other people and i'm attached to it as you know i now help moderate the facebook page yes i was going to ask about that so, yeah so you so you um picked up the call to to support and volunteer your time to um, um moderate our community tell us a bit about that Selfish on my part, entirely selfish, because the, the I, I love everything about what I've learned and what I'm doing. So the closer I can get to one year no beer, the more involved I can get, the better for me. And being a moderator, there's you know, doing this podcast brings me closer to one year no beer. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got several thousand members. I know we've had a couple of one to ones. Being able to to speak to Ruri is important to me. Being able to speak to you know. Barbara, anyone from One Year No Beer has been great for me because selfishly, my personality is the deeper I am into something, the more committed I am to it. Yeah. So the closer I am to One Year No Beer, um, the better. And all I need now is the T-shirt. <clears throat> <laughs> one day, one day, one day, one day. Um, and then you you decided to um, um, join us as an investor in the last crowdfunding round. Yeah, again, absolute no-brainer for me. Brings me closer again. Um, if if you can do what you've done for me for for thousands and thousands of people, why is it not the single most successful investment? You know, um, you, you go to the pub. Twenty years ago, it was a bottle of Caliber. Now, it, two years ago, it was a bottle of Bex. Uh, Bex Blue, and now you've got a choice of three or four. Yeah, um, yeah. Some pubs, five or six. It's growing. It's coming. Um, I have not had a friend stop, but I have had two or three friends have a serious go at it. I've given my 28-day freebies away to, mm. to two friends and one colleague. Yeah. It's coming, it's growing. And again, investing has just brought me even closer, kept me on the journey. Yeah, and exactly. I just want to be hand-in-hand hand with no one year no beer because it saved my life. Um, it's 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 prolonged. It saved my life. It's prolonged my life. You know, and yes, I've done it myself. Yes, I'm the one that stopped, but I tried stopping for 20 years and I didn't stop until I clicked that button. It's amazing. Um, yeah, I'm so I'm so grateful you did click on that button, and um, you know it's just wonderful to hear that the changes in your life and uh, you know it is part of the OYMB program about giving back because actually that's how how behaviour change really solidifies in ourselves is when you and and the accountability of um, you know uh, of being a part of one year no beer being an investor all of those things uh, you know that's one of the reasons why. We created one year no beers. It helps me stay accountable and, and, and all of those things. So, you know, um, w- one of the things I think is, is there's something truly enormous in here. There's a, it, I, I feel like in a way I'm trying to crack, um, um, nuclear fission or, <laughs> and obviously I'm not that intelligent. Um, but there's something here about the power of the individual who goes through the transformation that I want to create a vehicle for. Now, as an example, this podcast is exactly that, right? It is a shift in the mission of One Year No Beer. Why are we bringing in expert gurus and everything else like that when what people really need to hear are real stories of real people who've gone through incredible, heroic journeys inside themselves to transform their lives? And what we are steadily trying to make our way towards is what are all the tools people need to be able to shine, to stand up in their communities, in their environment, in their families, um, to, to help other people see the light, which is not about not drinking, 
right? Because it might be not drinking for one. It, it might be moderation for another. I know you said you only know one person who moderates, but now you know two. Um, <laughs> um, and um, you also know my wife. Um, so the reality is it's about changing society's relationship with alcohol. And in time with doing that, I think we can help people totally transform their lives. I think we can make the world a better place. Um, and I think the most important thing is how do we empower you, you, Julian, and you, the listener? How do we give you the tools so that you can go out and do that? That's what we're trying to do. Yeah. And I think from my perspective, I am the most stereotypical tradition, traditional English, you know, boozer. You know, it, it's, it's, it's what I grew up with. It's what everybody else did. It's perfectly normal for our culture, but not anymore. Yeah, it's exciting. So um, it's been really incredible to have you on the podcast, Julian. Before we finish up, um, what what would you say to anyone who is thinking about changing their relationship with alcohol and is listening to this podcast for the first time? Obviously do it. What harm can it possibly do? No bad can come of it. Um, do it for yourself. And um, I'd say keep three things in mind. Um, when you do do it for yourself, because nothing bad can come of it, be selfish, you know, because by being selfish and focusing on nothing but your relationship with alcohol, you will be better for everybody else around you. So when, when you get that call to come to the pub, say no, because the longer term gain is that you will be that better person. Always be selfish around your own journey um, and look, at, look, look to like-minded people you know um get get support and and dive into to, to the quitlet you will find one book i found two that really really resonate with you and actually it's a it's a con constant topic for discussion i really believe in af alternatives so the alcohol free alternatives i i still have have them now they i can't tell the difference anymore and they've really supported me on my journey um and and yeah it, it it gets better the first fortnight can be a bit rough but then you start to think actually that's better that's better that's better mm. um and one day i i at the moment i don't moderate um i don't try but that would be a lovely future dream um i need to understand more about it and how other people such as yourself do it um but at the moment things are so good so perfect so we're heading in the right direction that i'm going to get to 365 and then reassess totally amazing and and that's what i would recommend to everyone i think once you've completely separated from it and you've learned to love alcohol free then it makes it much easier for you to consider something um like moderation and interestingly we actually created a program uh, to help people work out what when the right time is and what they need to do and create some structure and process around thinking about going to moderate it's called take control um if you go to one year no beer.com forward slash take control um you'll find uh, you'll find that program up there uh, because we saw so many people sort of going into the wilderness of i don't know and where do i go and what do i do and it was like no no no. we need to help these people yeah. if they're thinking about doing that so that they know they can come back to safety you know what happens if i end up um you know having two hangovers in a row right well that's go straight back to doing 28 day so all sorts of things like that we talk about in the program Julian, it's been absolutely pleasure to have you on. And, um, you know, if you, if you are a part of One Year No Beer, you will know Julian. You will see him. He is, you know, always in the community and he's such a vibrant 
Well, you are, you are what you've always been, Julian. You've been the, the, the glue and the social guy and the pulling people together. And you're a big part of that in the community. And I think that also shows the transition that we can go through, right? You're not, you're not not being that person anymore. You're still being that person, but it's in a much more authentic and, and, and lovely way with people who are supportive and caring and on the same journey as you. So. Well done. Less beard, less beard, less gut. <laughs> it's brilliant. So thank you so much for coming in today, Julian. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Cheers, Riri. Thank you. If you liked today's show and um, you enjoyed what Julian had to say, if any of it resonated, or maybe you know somebody who think you could who could do with hearing what Julian has to say, maybe they have stuff going on in their own life, or maybe they were just a big boozer, they were that stereotypical person, and you reckon that you might be able to inspire them to make a change just by them hearing into this podcast, don't forget to share this. Share it or head to Apple, iTunes, subscribe, leave us a review. All of those things help us to reach more people. Thanks for joining us this week, and we will talk to you again soon. Bye. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the One Year No Beer podcast, where our mission is to share and tell the stories of the everyday heroes who are taking the steps to make a meaningful impact by changing their relationship with alcohol. If you want to join our community and find out more about the variety of benefits that you can enjoy by becoming part of our 80,000 plus members within our alcohol-free movement, then click the link in the show notes below.